This is the final sermon uh, covering the Ten Commandments. This is number 10, and it's really important, okay? And so next week we'll, uh, we'll continue with Exodus, but I, I did kind of a, a mini-series, Kingdom Rules, looking at the Ten Commandments. We're concluding that this morning. The title of my sermon is The Danger of Discontentment. The Danger of Discontentment. And here's the big idea. The key, oh, <laughs> the key to Christian joy is being content in Christ. Amen? The key to Christian joy is being content in Christ. Are you content in Christ? Are you satisfied in Christ? Can you honestly say, yes, Christ is enough? A godly woman once wrote, Years ago, I stopped looking to anyone but God to satisfy me. There is no man that can love me enough, no child that can need me enough, no job that can pay me enough, and no experience that can satisfy me enough, only Jesus, end quote. Does this describe you? Are you fully satisfied in Christ, or do you find your heart wandering, looking here and there for contentment? Again, our, our passage, Dave read it. I'm going to read it one more time. Exodus 20, 17, and, and then I'll give you kind of a, a preview of where we're headed this morning. But Exodus 20, 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So where are we headed this morning? I want us to address four major questions, and with the Lord's help, I'll seek to answer these questions. Number one, what does it mean to covet? The most basic question, okay? What does it mean to covet? Number two, why do we covet? Why do we do it? All of us do it. All of us have done it. Why do we covet? Number three, and I, when I prayed, I mentioned how God's Word is a, a diagnostic tool. So, number three, what does coveting reveal according to Scripture? When we do covet, what does it say about us? What does it reveal about our hearts? And number four, what's the remedy? Is there a solution? Is there a remedy? And of course, as Christians, we would say what? Yes, amen, in Jesus. All right, so <clears throat> Kevin DeYoung, this was really helpful. And I want to, this is kind of a second introduction, if you will, or illustration to begin. Kevin DeYoung, he paints several scenarios based on Exodus 2017. And I want to ask the question, do any of these currently describe you? So the first part of the text, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Does this sound like you? I'm so tired of living in this neighborhood. We live in a dump. It must be nice to live somewhere so fancy and so well decorated. <laughs> this is funny. Why can't I have that HGTV house? The second part of the commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wow, does this sound like you? Wow, she sure is beautiful. Why, and husbands, don't you dare laugh at this next one. Why couldn't my wife age like that? You're in trouble. I warned you. I wish I had married someone like her. Look at her husband. He's always so friendly. He's good with the kids. He helps out around the house. Why am I stuck with my husband when there are other men out there? The text goes on, or, right, so don't covet. There's, there's these different objects, right? Or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey. Does this describe you? Man, 
My car is a piece of junk. Why am I stuck at this loser job? I wish my kids... Now, parents, do not laugh at this because your kids may be beside you. I wish my kids were more like their kids. And the last part of the Tenth Commandment, or anything that is your neighbor's. I wish I could be smart like him. My life would be so much better if I looked like her. I deserve that truck. (laughs) He concludes, and this is important, there's nothing necessarily wrong with noticing what other people have. But most of us don't stop and notice so that we can give thanks to God for his blessings on others. We notice and then stop being thankful for all that God has given to us. That's coveting. So number one, what does it mean to covet? What does it mean to covet? Um, I tried, Dave, you know, just a good mnemonic device for this Hebrew verb. The verb used here is chamev. And I thought, how amazing that we still covet as believers. (laughs) Okay. Coveting can refer to an inordinate, ungoverned, and selfish desire, lustful desires. It can denote, this is important, coveting can denote an idolatrous tendency. Now, this is important. The text doesn't say this. You shall not covet. Stop. It doesn't end with that. There are objects mentioned, objects that follow the verb, don't covet. Don't covet what? Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servants, animals, or anything that is theirs. One brother says, and this is, this is good, okay? We're going to be talking about, so, you know, covening can actually be used in a positive manner. Who's ever told someone, I covet your prayers? That's appropriate. Because the word covet can just mean, I desire strongly. And when you say, I covet your prayers, you're saying to that brother or sister, I desire strongly that you would pray for me. I need it right now. Good coveting or bad coveting? It's good. So this brother writes, much coveting, and I'll give you an example from Scripture, which will be helpful. Much coveting is permissible or even commendable, as long as the thing being coveted is something a person should desire and not something <laughs> that already belongs to someone else exclusively. So here's the example. For example, in Isaiah 53, we all know Isaiah 53, right? In Isaiah 53, verse 2, coveting is associated with the promised Messiah. We should covet, we should long for the promised Messiah. We should not desire those things that already belong to someone else because Christ is enough. We must covet or desire or find pleasure in Christ, in the things of Christ. I hope many of you, uh, and if you don't know this verse, this would be a great one to commit to memory, Colossians 3.1. I would say Colossians 3.1.3. But hey, just focus on the Psalms right now and you'll get there. But Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We sinfully, and again, we're going to be talking about sinful coveting today, desiring things that don't belong to us, things that others have, that thinking that goes, if I only had that, I'd be satisfied because Christ isn't enough. That is sinful coveting. We sinfully covet when 
we jealously desire what others have. Now, why is this so serious? I think, you know, oh, it's not murder, you know. I mean, it's just this thing going on in my mind. Who is it hurting? Well, it's hurting you. It really is. It's hurting you. So what are the implications of this? It's more than just desiring what someone else has. Here it is. You ready? Coveting. Coveting is ignoring God's present blessings in one's own life and refusing to thank God when he blesses others. So you're not even thinking about how God has blessed you, right? If you're saved, you know the greatest blessing of all, forgiveness. Amen? And at the same time, if you're coveting, listen, I can't believe that God would bless that person with A, B, or C. Are you kidding me? Give thanks. You're an undeserving sinner just like them. Praise God for his grace in their lives. Do you see how dangerous this is? It is intentional, I believe, that this is the final of the Ten Commandments. This is number ten, right, of the big ten. To covet is to break the other nine. What? To covet is to break the other nine. Because, the, and I'm going to explain this, the Ten Commandments can be summarized as what? Love God and love, love neighbor, right? The first half deals with mankind and his relationship with God. The second half, the horizontal, our relationships with one another. So to covet is to break the other nine. Let me explain. First, to covet is to refuse to love God as he deserves to be loved. Is that serious? Is it serious to refuse to love God as he deserves to be loved? Yes, but that's what coveting is. When we covet, we look to what others have and satisfy that rather than God. I need that. Christ is not enough. That is idolatry. That is so dangerous. Second, to covet is to refuse to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because to love is to sacrificially pursue the good of others. It's to rejoice when God does good to others. And it's to genuinely yearn for this. To covet, on the other hand, is to cringe when God does good to others and to jealously wish it had been done to us instead. The covetous heart treats people as a means to an end, as pawns to be used and abused for one's selfish means. The covetous heart says this, I want what you have, and I will destroy you, your reputation, our friendship, and whatever else gets in my way to have what you have. It's so dangerous. Next, coveting is first and foremost a sin of the mind. Our thoughts matter, amen? Our thoughts do matter. Every sinful action began as a thought. James 1, 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then... Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to what? To sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So beware your thoughts. Our minds can quickly get us into trouble. We agree with that. Therefore, we must fix our thoughts, our minds on Christ and his word. Because every sinful action begins with a sinful thought. The good news is this. In Christ, we have a new mind. We have new Godward desires. According to Paul, we now have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. 
Therefore, we must train our minds daily in the, in the Word of God and seek to diligently bring our thoughts in line with Him. So the first question was, what does it mean to covet? We've answered that. Number two, why do we do it? Why do we do it, friends? Why do we covet? Where does coveting begin? It begins in the heart. Let's go to Mark 7 again. We've done this every week. Mark 7, 21 to 23. Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And verse 23 is so important. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Again, why do we covet? Coveting is the result of a failure to be fully and finally satisfied in Jesus Christ. A covetous heart says, I need what they have to be truly happy. I need his house, his car, his wife even to be fully satisfied. Here's why we covet. We covet because we have bought into a great big lie. We are naturally fools. I said it. (laughs) And we foolishly believe that the key to happiness can be found in the accumulation of stuff, and especially the stuff of others. Why do we covet? I got three points here in your notes. Why do we do it? Why do we covet? Number one, and we're going to come back to these later, but number one, we have a resting problem. And and by resting, I'm not saying, and maybe some of you do, I'm not saying a, a sleep problem. We have a resting problem. We either refuse to or forget to rest in the Lord's work of salvation and his gracious provision. Number two, why do we covet? We have a trust problem. We have a trust problem. We either refuse to or forget to trust in the Lord's perfect work of salvation to meet our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. Number three, we, and, and here's the, the big one. Why do we covet? We have a gratitude problem. We have a gratitude problem. We either refuse to or we forget to regularly give thanks to God for what he's accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. We are, by nature, ungrateful. Look around. We're all ungrateful. (laughs) A failure, and if you want to write this down, it might be worth it. A failure to regularly give gratitude for the gospel opens the door to coveting. A failure to regularly give gratitude for the gospel opens the door to what? To coveting. Now, let's start with Israel. Why was this such a big deal for Israel, coveting? God saves his people, right? By grace, they didn't deserve it. He saves Israel, and then he gives him his word, by which he means to rule over them. Amen? Okay, so this was intentional, that the Lord included this in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, for Israel at such a time as this. So why was coveting such a big deal for Israel? I guess I could ask the question, did they, did they do it? Did they covet? Yeah, they sure did. Why it's such a big deal? Because they were called to trust the Lord, and they had every reason to. Every need had been provided for by the Lord time and time again. He'd saved them and provided for them. And yet, what did they do? They coveted. Let's look at just two examples. One in Exodus, and then we'll go forward a little bit in history. But Exodus 16, 2 and 3, 
and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Grumble, grumble, grumble. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And now let's go to 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. That's not very nice. (laughs) Samuel, you're old. (laughs) You're old, and this is serious. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Okay, so what happened? Why this history of coveting in Israel? Why did they covet? Because they got their eyes off the Lord. Why do we covet? It happens when we get our eyes off the Lord. They looked, and if, I hope you're paying attention, okay? Um, they looked in each instance, and there's multiple examples of this, but in the two that I provided, Israel, they looked to their circumstances and the circumstances of others rather than resting, trusting, and giving what? Thanks. Why is coveting such a big deal for the church? I hope, I mean, I shouldn't even have to say it, but I will because it's good to be reminded. We have Christ. We have Christ. We ha- Listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, you, me, we have the hope of eternal life. And again, you know, hope in our culture is one of those words. It's like, I really hope it rains today. That's not what the biblical word means. The Greek word, elpis, it, it means to know that you know. It denotes assurance. So when I say, according to Scripture, we hope, it's as good as done, baby. Okay? I mean, we know that we know. Maybe I shouldn't have said baby. I mean, come on, listen. The writers in the New Testament call the church children. We have the provision of God's church. We have his ear we have his, I mean, just think about the resources we have in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have forgiveness. Amen? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Word of God. If you're a Christian, when you pray, you have the Father's ear because you belong to the Son. If you're a Christian, you have the promise, the hope of resurrection life in a new heaven and a new earth. I love what a pastor friend of mine, Tim Walton, said years ago. He said, anything And he's talking to a room of men. This was at a men's conference. He said, anything beyond salvation in Christ is merely icing on the cake. Isn't that true? We have Jesus. We have the Savior. What else do we need? That that should convict us, and that should bring to light the foolishness of our coveting. If we're Christians, we have Jesus. (laughs) What else do we need? Well, how does Jesus instruct the church in Matthew 6? Matthew 6, 25 to 34. I'm going to read the whole text. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. I think some of you looked up. There's not birds, I'm just... Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God 
so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, covet first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." The anxious heart is the heart that quickly looks to other things, even those things that belong to others for peace and rest. Instead, trust the Lord. Furthermore, oh, this is so true, and this is, this is scary, because all of us deal with this. We tend towards coveting because we feel entitled. No! Come on, Pastor Chris. We buy into the lie. Well... I deserve what they have. I work harder than them. I mean, none of us have said that, right? I'm more spiritual than they are. I've never done that. Why should they get this and not me? I deserve it, not them. I'm more spiritual. I work harder. I'm entitled. We forget so often what we truly deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve God's forever wrath. So, remembering the gospel daily is the key to guarding our hearts against covetous longings. Number three. <clears throat> Number three. What does coveting reveal? It reveals the state of our heart. Again, it's a diagnostic tool. This is in your notes. A covetous heart reveals one's idols. A covetous heart reveals one's idols, and I'll explain how that works here shortly. But I think all of us would agree that what we covet in that moment we are placing before God. is true. What we covet, what we say we need so that we can be satisfied, at that moment we're placing that before God. It's a what? It's an idol. One brother says, coveting is idolatry. And, and I, we've made that point. It says, and here's the heart behind it. It says, and again, this is it's a diagnostic tool, right? Coveting reveals our heart. And when we covet, this is what's going on. It says, I can't live without that person, place, or possession. It makes a God out of our desires. So it could be argued that under all our sins, underneath all of our sins, is a covetous heart. Why do people murder, lie, and steal? Why do they do those things? They covet what others have, Right? Those who commit these atrocities fail to see, one, human beings as fellow image bearers and instead view people as mere obstacles in the way of their best life. <laughs> the thinking goes, if I remove them from the playing board, then I can have their life. If I slander their name, I can have their reputation. If I take what belongs to them, then I can be truly satisfied. I would argue that the Tenth Commandment may in fact be the most important of all the ten because it affects everything else. It reveals the state of our heart. As stated earlier, a covetous heart reveals one's idols. The, the man who looks at his neighbor's house across the street and thinks, if I only had his home or his truck or his bass boat or his job or his wife, then I would be happy. At that moment, his idols have been exposed, haven't they? At that moment, did you hear him? 
If I asked you, if I, if I painted that picture or presented that scenario and I asked you to write down his idols, what would they be? All the things I just mentioned, right? His neighbor's wife, bass boat, house, job, etc. What we long for, now this is important, what we long for, what we dream about, what we hope for, what we think about, it reveals what we worship. What do you think about during the workday, when you're at home? What are you dreaming about right now? I can't wait to get out of here and go get in line for some food. Well, maybe <laughs> it could be an idol, right? But see, in all seriousness, you know, what do you spend your time thinking about, dreaming about? Who or what has your heart? The answer to that question is revealed by the answer to this question, who or what has your thoughts? The second thing here in your notes, right? So one, a covetous heart reveals one's idols. Two, a covetous heart reveals what? Discontentment. And this is the great plague of humanity. Mankind longs. What do we long for? Oh, I just want to get by, you know. No, we, we long to be satisfied, fulfilled. We long for contentment. A deep satisfaction of the soul. I mean, I think the Hebrew word shalom gets at it perfectly. Shalom, that word for peace, it it refers to it just in a wholeness. I'm whole. I'm whole. Don't you long to be whole? No, man, I I, kind of, you know, I want to just go through life unsatisfied, grasping. No, you want to be full. You want to be satisfied. You want to be content. All of us do. That's what the world longs for. But what's the problem? It looks for it in all the wrong places. Sadly, mankind's initial response because of sin is to look to the creation rather than the creator. I'm not going to mention this person by name, but this is a a well-known actor. And this was an interview uh, some years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And here's the interview. This is what he said. Sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could go away. You never know. Now, in speaking about his insecurities, he explained it this way. And this is I thought was really revealing. This is what the, the actor said, the well-known actor said. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's like a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. No contentment, no satisfaction. Um, There's a well-known pastor that I've had the opportunity to befriend. And uh, he told me, I thought this was so funny, I've actually done this now, when he has a lot of boys, uh, four boys. And he said, man, when my kids would argue in the backseat or whine, I would sing that well-known Rolling Stones song. You know what I'm talking about? I can't get no satisfaction. Like, come on, guys. (laughs) Do you know that song? I'm not here endorsing the Rolling Stones. Please don't think that. But listen, here's why I share the lyrics, because this is how the world thinks without Christ. And I think all of us would say amen. When you say amen, you're saying, yeah, that's true. That's all the word means in Greek. I mean, true. True, it's true. So here's here's, uh, the lyrics. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Can't get no. Can't get no. This is the state of our world because of sin. This describes life without Jesus. Mankind desires what? Satisfaction. 
But because of sin, mankind looks for it in the wrong places. Only Christ. Only Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, in the truth, in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mankind will not be satisfied until it is satisfied in him. Amen? Now, the Bible, and I have like 15 passages, and I need to be selective here. The Bible warns against this time and time again. Let me give you a couple. This is Romans 1, 22 to 25. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Again, we look to the creation rather than the creator. Uh, one more. Oh, there's so many here. You can write these down quickly if you want to. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I'm not going to read all these. They're all making the same point that because of sin, we look for satisfaction in the things of the world rather than Christ. 1 Timothy 6.10, Ephesians 5.5, 5, 1 Timothy 6.10, Ephesians 5.5, 5, James 4, 2-4. All right, let's, let's answer the final question. What's the remedy? What's the remedy? You ready for this? Change your object. Change your object. Who should we covet? The Lord. In the things of the Lord. Matthew 6, 33. I've already read it. Let me read it again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus issues forth the same challenge to the rich young ruler in Mark 10. In Jesus, this is Mark 10, 21. What a sad story. But it's revealing of our hearts. And Jesus, looking at him, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus Good teacher, what must I do to be saved, right? That was the inquiry. Jesus looked at him, loved him, I love that, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. What was Jesus saying in that moment? Stop treasuring wealth. Stop coveting wealth. Stop looking to the world and the things of the world for satisfaction. Instead, treasure me. Treasure me. Desire me. Those things cannot satisfy, Jesus is saying. Only I can. Well, let's go back to those three things. Rest, trust, and give what? Give thanks. So rest in the Lord. What's the remedy? to a covetous heart. Rest in the Lord. Rest in knowing that in Jesus alone is found peace and joy and eternal satisfaction because by trusting in Jesus, our greatest need has been met forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. That's everything. Jesus issues forth the invitation in Matthew eleven. 28 to 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So rest in the Lord, rest in his provision of salvation. Number two, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord for salvation, trust in the Lord for your daily needs. As I just mentioned, in Christ our greatest need has been met. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans 10.9, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. 
Number three, give thanks to the Lord. What is the remedy to a covetous heart? Again, if coveting is tantamount to ingratitude, right? Because when you're coveting, what are you saying? I don't have enough to be thankful for. I'm not thankful for what I have. I'm not thankful for what they have. I need something else. What is the opposite of that? Giving thanks to who? To the Lord. If you get nothing else this morning, please get this. Just, I mean, surely you can get this. This one thing this morning. Gratitude is one of the greatest weapons for fending off a covetous heart. When we give thanks, we are looking to Christ and what He's done and what He's provided rather than on what others have. Gratitude, okay, let's call it gospel gratitude. Gratitude is refusing to look longingly at what others have, but rather rejoicing in who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. Regularly take a spiritual inventory Reviewing all the blessings of life in Christ, forgiveness, new righteousness, the indwelling spirit, the ministry of the word, the church family, the promise of eternal life, and give what? Once you take that spiritual inventory, give what? Give give thanks. And that is one of the greatest weapons for fending off a covetous heart. Amen? What does the word tell us? The same thing. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So again, and I've said this before, if a lack of prayer... If a lack of prayer conveys a lack of dependence on God, because when you're not praying, you're saying, God, I got this, I don't need you, right? So if a lack of prayer conveys a lack of dependence on God, a lack of thanksgiving reveals a lack of gratitude to God, right? If you're not giving thanks, you're not, obviously what? You're not thankful. So, when tempted, when tempted toward coveting, be quick to meditate on the gospel, the result of thanking on God's amazing grace, His amazing love applied to our sinful state, and the merciful provision of Jesus is always what? What's the result of that? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So in sum, be content in the Lord. These are the marks of Christian contentment. Rest, trust, and gratitude. What's the remedy to coveting? Oh, I had to go here. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. This is one of my favorite passages by Paul. He writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Now, what reason do we have to be content? If we have Christ, we have everything we need. Amen? There's nothing else. Now, again, that sounds so simple. And maybe you would criticize Paul. Paul, it's just too simple. Be careful because those words are inspired by the Spirit of God. It's God's Word. It sounds simple, but according to God's word, this is the key to living a life pleasing to the Lord. Now, what does Paul not say? Paul does not say godliness plus, but rather godliness with. Now, this is cool. This is, I hope you get this. This is really sweet. 
I'm going to nerd out for a minute, but just follow me here. The Greek word for contentment is autarkia. Autarkia. It was a Greek term used by the Stoics. This was a group of philosophers. And you know what the word means in their world? You know what it meant? Total self-sufficiency. Total self-sufficiency. Now, according to this group of philosophers, the Stoics, complete independence of all external things was the ultimate ideal. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? Paul transformed this. He Christianized it. For Paul, to be content meant to operate not from a mind of self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. You get it? Christ is enough, amen? And that is the key to contentment. If you have Christ, you're content because he meets all our needs. Anything else is just icing on the cake. The truly God-honoring life is found in being content and satisfied in Jesus. I think all of us fall prey to the foolishness of thinking that if we just had this or that, then we'd have it all. Friends, if we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we have it all. Amen? We have it all. Rest in Christ and His finished work and know that true joy and contentment is found in Him alone. Does the world need to hear this message? Yes! So let's embody it as Christians and let's proclaim it to the world around us. Again, we see this emphasized elsewhere in Scripture, Philippians 4.11. Because of time, I'm not going to say these. Hebrews 13.5. Finally, we must reorient our hearts and minds around the glory of God. Again, what is the remedy? What is the remedy, the solution to being on guard against the covetous heart? All of us, because of sin, suffer from misplaced awe, A-W-E. We stare and wonder at the things of this world, foolishly forfeiting the infinitely greater glory and wonder of God in Christ Jesus. We give our hearts to other things. If we've been saved, then we have been graciously made made to see. So if you're saved, if you're a believer, by grace you have been made to see in the Word the beautiful Son of God, the glory of God in the Son of God, in the Word of God. And that transforms us, amen? This is the key to overcoming a covetous heart, beholding Christ and His Word. Because when you do that, every day and every week, you see that nothing else compares. Everything else pales in light of the unsurpassing glory of King Jesus. Amen? We need that. We need to be reminded of how much better Jesus is. When you're you're holding up Christ and and then you see that other spouse or that other house or that bass boat, you're like, oh my goodness, what am I thinking? Those things cannot satisfy only Jesus. So keep going to the Word. And after that, keep going to the Word. And then when you're done with that, keep going to the Word, to behold the glorious Son of God. How do we do that? (laughs) We must daily go to the Word of God to behold the beauty of God and the Son of God. Because we know that the Spirit of God primarily works through the Word of God to bring our attention to the Son of God. Again, this is the key to overcoming a covetous heart. Behold Christ in His Word. Let me end with Paul's words, and then I'm going to ask four questions. 
Philippians 3, 8 to 11, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything. Did he say some things? No, everything as lost. This is so good. Paul, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else I count as lost. It doesn't compare to who? To knowing Christ as my Lord. Paul says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The Greek, poop. Let's be real. That's what the word means. It does. Waste. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's saying, listen, I count everything as lost because by knowing Christ, I'm now righteous. I'm now right with God. That's all I need. Everything else is waste compared to that. Now don't go home and tell your wife and kids they're waste. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying nothing else compares. Nothing else compares to Christ and what Christ has provided for his people. Hey, listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're now right with God. You have his righteousness applied to you. Amen? Don't you see how foolish coveting is? Why would we do it? How do we overcome it? Remembering the what? The gospel. Going to the what? And seeing how much more beautiful Jesus is than these things. Let me, let me just give some questions. These are some, I, I included these in your handout. Just some, I, I want you to think about these today. Some diagnostic questions. Number one, and be honest with yourself, maybe talk to your spouse or a friend. Do you rejoice when the Lord blesses others? Is that your initial reaction? Man, I, I got the raise. I, I, you know, I got this new schedule. I can be home more with my family. Oh, man, I wish I got that raise. I wish that was my schedule rather than, oh, praise God. I've been, brother, I've been praying for you about that. Man, we're seeing God's faithfulness, his goodness. I mean, we know you don't deserve that. I don't either, but praise God for his goodness. Amen. So do you rejoice when the Lord blesses others? Is that your initial heart reflex? Number two, do you find your heart constantly wondering toward what others have? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Number three, do you regularly practice thanksgiving? If not, I promise you, you are dealing with coveting. I promise you. If you're not giving thanks, you're probably groaning. <laughs> you're angry. You feel like you're missing out because you're not being reminded of who Christ is and what he's done. Again, giving thanks, this is the best way to safeguard our hearts against coveting. And then number four, simple question, is Christ enough? You have to answer that question. Is, is Christ enough? Friends, repent today. All of us, repent today. Seek the Lord first and foremost. Amen? And seek accountability. Who needs help here? Hopefully all of us would acknowledge, I need help here. My mind and my thoughts wander towards what others have. Yeah, from time to time when the Lord blesses others, I, I don't initially give thanks. I, I wish it had been done to me or for me. I think I deserve it. I'm more spiritual. I work harder. That's coveting. It's not good. Remember Jesus. This is so good. Remember Jesus. 
What did Jesus desire more than anything else? What did Jesus desire more than anything else? The Father's will and the Father's glory. The Father's will and the Father's glory. The Father's will and the Father's glory. If you've trusted in Jesus, then Christ's righteousness, his perfect record is given to you. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit now for the purpose of pursuing God's glory and God's will. God's glory and God's will in all things. So trust in Jesus. Do you know the gospel? Are you here and right now you would say, I can't get no satisfaction. That Rolling Stone songs is on repeat in your mind and in your heart. I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try. I'm looking to everything else. Look to Jesus. Only he can satisfy the deep longings of our soul because only he can give us forgiveness, which is our greatest need. If you've not trusted in Jesus, then right now you are an object of God's wrath. And forever you will be eternally separated from God in hell. Look to Jesus. Trust in the glorious Savior who lived the life we could not live because we're sinners. And he died the death all of us deserve, and he rose again, proving all his claims are true, that he really is the Son of God, and that a way has been provided for sinners like us to be brought back into fellowship with God if we just trust in him. Treasure Jesus, look to him for satisfaction, and then, with me, let's go out and tell the world. Stop looking to the creation. Look to the creator. Look to Jesus. Only he can satisfy our hearts. Only he can forgive. Only he can make us right with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to rest in the finished work of your Son. Help us to daily practice gratitude by remembering the gospel. Father, through your word and your spirit working through your word, make us aware of any idols in our lives. Make us aware of covetous desires. Help us to safeguard ourselves and our hearts against coveting by practicing gratitude, by thinking about the gospel and what you've done, Father, through your Son to save sinners like us. Jesus, help us to treasure you fully, completely. Help us to love you more. And Father, give us the strength to go into our relational worlds and to tell the good news to tell the world that there's no satisfaction to be found in the things of this world, only in Jesus, because only Jesus can forgive us and bring us back to you, God. We thank you for your word this morning. Work in our hearts and make us more like Christ for his glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.